0: I greet you all yet again tonight with a raspy voice from singing my heart out. In the name that is above all names. I love that song, Jesus Messiah. We may have to sing that one more time tonight so I can film you singing it. I enjoyed watching you folk worship. I just watched you worship, and I worshiped with you. We may have to sing it one more time tonight, John, so I can film it. I want, uh, I want some people in Texas to see that there's a church in California where people love Jesus and worship him. Amen. So y'all don't hold back, cut loose. <laughs> Thank you, John. You've done a great job this week. I want to uh, commend you for your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit in the, in, in the choice of the songs and in the invitation songs, and, and uh, I thank you, dear brother. Thank God for all you who have sung specials. I appreciate you ministering to our hearts throughout the course of this, of this week. And I want to thank the church for being so faithful this week. And I I know that it's not just a new auditorium. I believe that there's a sincere love for Jesus in many of your hearts. And I want to thank you for being faithful this week and coming out, especially on a night like tonight. You know, the old saying is, is all it takes is 19 drops of rain to keep 20 Baptists out of church. Well, if that be the truth, there was a whole lot of them should have stayed home tonight, I guess. But you didn't. You chose to come. And I commend you for that. Praise the Lord. I always used to tell our people, you'll get up and go to work tomorrow, won't you? In the weather. (laughs) See, might as well come to church. I know there's some who can't. I know there's some who can't. I'll tell you what, this brother here, I'll tell you what, he makes me feel so good about myself, I'm thinking about just taking him with me. I guarantee you. I say that again, brother. Say that again, because there's a lot of nights I just don't feel very good. You know, don't feel like even preaching sometimes. But uh, I don't preach for feeling. I preach because that's what God has called me to do. I want to do something just a little bit different tonight. I I want to preach to the church again tonight. Of course, you preach to the church every night. But I mean, there are nights when. The message addresses the church directly. and We did that last night, talking about the, the, the marks of a growing, a maturing church. And tonight, dearly beloved, I want to talk about the reason why the Lord has left us here. So if you bear patience with me, I want to lay a little bit of foundation. And I want to end up in Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10. That's where we're going. Don't turn there yet. You can if you want to. But your finger might get blue if it stays in there too long. <clears throat> I want to just ask this question as I slip into this text. And that is why has the Lord left us here? What are we here for? I mean, I love to sing, and, and boy, singing has a great place in a service. Matter of fact, any preacher will tell you that singing sets the stage for preaching. And y'all do that well around here. And I like activities. I like fellowship. I like all those things. And certainly that's part and parcel of the daily life of a church. But that's not the sole purpose and not the main reason why the Lord left us here. A good friend of mine, Dr. Bill Allen, a missionary statesman, used to make this statement. Jesus' first words in the scripture was, his first recorded words were, I must be about my father's business. Remember in the temple at 12 years of age. Then he said, Jesus' last recorded words in scripture tells us what his father's business is. And what is it? Go to all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. Dearly beloved, that's why we're here. That's why the church is in this world tonight. So that all men in every crack and crevice of the world might hear the good news that Jesus saved. That Jesus loves them. That Christ died for them and paid for their sins on the cross of Calvary. And they don't have to go to hell. They can go to heaven because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Good news. Good news. We call that the Great Commission. Now, I know this is not a missions conference. I preach a lot of missions conferences. As a matter of fact, uh, that's really my ministry. Uh, the name of the ministry the Lord has given me is Global Gospel Connections. And even though I preach revival meetings, camp meetings, Bible conferences, I preach a lot of missions conferences, and I take four mission trips a year at least, although COVID threw a wrench in that. And I take pastors with me because my desire is to connect pastors and churches to missionaries in the field. And the reason why that's my burden, dearly beloved, is that is the purpose of the church. But these words that I was speaking of a moment ago are called the Great Commission. Let me just give you a little groundwork, a little foundation here. The Great Commission is mentioned five times in the Scripture. Number one, in the book of Matthew, we have the method of the Great Commission. What is the method? In those verses, in Matthew uh, uh, 28, 19 through 20, the method is simply this. Number one, evangelizing. Number two, baptizing. And number three, discipling. Evangelizing, baptizing, and discipling. And of course, in the course of that, we see the formation of a local church. That's what New Testament missions is, dearly beloved. It's church planning. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16 and verse number 15, we have the measure of the Missionary Commission. We have the span of the missionary commission. We basically find out in those verses that the gospel is to be taken to all people in all places. All people in all places. We come to Luke chapter 24, verse number 47 and 48. and We have the message, the message of the missionary commission. What is it? It is repentance and remission of sins. It is turn from your sin and turn to Christ. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll wash you. He will remit your sins. We've only one message. (laughs) We've only one message, but I'm here to tell you tonight, it's the only message we've ever needed. The only one we need. The only one we'll ever need. Because the Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then you come to the book of John in chapter uh, number uh, 21, verses 15 to 17, and you have the motive of the missionary commission. It's motive. And what is it? What is it? Number one, it's love for the Savior. Peter, do you love me? Number two, it's love for the sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. Then we come to the book of Acts in chapter 1 and verse 8. And of course, the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the key to the whole book. It's the theme verse of the whole book. And the theme word is the word both. And he says this, and you shall be witnesses unto me. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both. And that means at the same time. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea. That is those areas beside, beside us. Uh, some area, the areas be uh, uh, the areas beyond us, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here in the Book of Acts, we have the movement of the missionary commission. Up until now, it's been somewhat dormant. It's been restricted to the Jews. But now the Gentile is engrafted in and it sprouts feet and legs and begins to move throughout the Gentile colonies of the then-known world. It's called the Great Commission. What my heart is contemplating tonight and what the Lord is directing Me to magnify tonight, dearly beloved, is the sole purpose of the church, the home church, and every other Bible-preaching church. We're here to get the gospel out. We're here to make sure that people hear the glorious message. We're here to tell the world that Jesus saves. We're here to love people and care about people and have a burden for people. That's why we're here. We're not here for social causes alone, though certainly the gospel can fix social ills. We're not here for political purposes, though certainly the Scripture can address that. No, so we're here, but for one reason, this church exists, and the Lord has left us here, and that is to get the message out. That is to tell people all around us and all about us. And what I'm seeing today in the local church today is there's a lot of distractions out there, and a lot of churches have lost their evangelistic fire. Let me make a statement. When the church ceases to evangelize, it soon will fossilize. When the church ceases to evangelize, it will soon fossilize. When it loses its burden for sinners, And when buildings and budgets and money and all of those things become more important than souls, that church is coming to a standstill and it's backing up instead of going forward. My purpose is to come here tonight and to preach the words of the old song. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. There are four very clear calls for this emphasis in Scripture, and we're going to end up in Romans chapter 9 and 10. But first of all, and you don't need to turn there, I'll give it to you in Isaiah chapter 6 and 8, there's a call for heaven for evangelism. You remember that call? The Lord said, Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? I want you to say, I want you to understand tonight, dearly beloved, that heaven is calling out to us tonight for someone to get burdened, for someone to care, for someone to go and to leave their comfort zone and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. But there's not only a call from heaven... In Luke chapter 16, there's a call from hell. Do you remember what the rich man said in hell? The Bible said in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue And for all those liberals who wonder if there's fire in hell, you need to listen to this. For I am tormented in this flame. The thing I want to magnify here is this. It seems to me that possibly there may be more concern for sinners in hell than there is in a lot of our churches. When was the last time you witnessed to somebody? When was the last time you passed out a gospel track? When was the last time the Holy Ghost tugged at your heart and you couldn't go home without going to somebody and telling them about Jesus, sliding out from underneath the sheets on your bed and falling on your face and praying for a sinner in need? We've lost that in our churches today. There's a call from heaven in Isaiah chapter 6. There's a call from hell in Luke chapter 16. There's a call from the heathen in Acts chapter 16. If you'll remember, Paul essayed to go one direction, and all of a sudden he had a dream of a man from Macedonia. And the man from Macedonia was crying out, Paul, come over. Come over and help us. I'll never forget when I went behind the Iron Curtain the first time in 1989. It was it was almost a year, nine more months before the Iron Curtain fell. I flew from Houston through New York to Frankfurt, Germany. I caught the plane in Frankfurt, Germany. The Slovak or the Czechoslovak people that were there were very... Happy, they were talking and laughing. When we landed in Prague, that same group of people got real quiet, very stoic. You could tell that the freedom had been sucked right out of them. I'll never forget going into the airport. They made me go into a bank and change a certain amount of money per day that I was going to be there into their currency. I went to the customs desk and they took my passport and they began to look at one another and talk. They made me stand there for 40 to 45 minutes while they took my passport back into the customs area. And I knew that it was possible that I was going to be interrogated finally they brought my passport back and let me go on out of customs and when I came out of customs there was brother Joseph Oberman a missionary out of our church there was his brother Vladimir next to him was standing a small man four foot nine inches tall Julius Arpazziarto brilliant man spoke six languages he was my interpreter for 16 days I'll never forget brother Tim, what he said to me when I leaned over, it's customary in Europe for even the men to peck each other on the cheek. Now, don't be trying that tonight, okay? But it's customary. I took Tom Miller with me one time and he got caught somewhere between here and here and got one right on the lips. Never forget it. And I leaned down, and the sweet, dear little brother kissed me on both cheeks. He said, oh, Brother Mark, what took America so long? Boy, that stabbed into my heart like a knife. Yes, sir, what's taken America so long? What's taken our churches so long to get the vision? Why have we become so preoccupied with success and materialism that we've forgotten the inertia and the energy of the church is the fires of evangelism. Well, that heathen said, come over and help us. Let me tell you something, folk. I've been, in, I've been over five of the seven continents. And it's not like it is here in America where people have gotten used to the gospel and take it for granted. There's places where you can go tonight and they cannot wait for you to come. They are waiting for somebody to come and tell them. But here's where I want to really focus and concentrate tonight. It's in Romans chapter 9 and 10. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. We'll read the first three verses. In chapter 10, we'll read the first verse. If you have an old Schofield Bible, that's page 1202 and 1203. These are the words of the Apostle Paul to the Roman or the Jewish believers. These are parenthetical chapters 9, 10, and 11. He's talking about the Jews in general, the nation of Israel. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that, listen to this, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. You know what Paul's saying here? If if, If me going to hell would save Israel, I'd be willing to do. That is an overwhelming state. I can't say that I feel that way. Simon Peter said it like this. Peradventure, some of us would die for a good man. But when we were ungodly, when we were in sin, Christ died for us. Oh, what love. That's love. And Paul's saying here, if me going to hell would save my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh, I'd be willing to do that. Look at chapter 10 in verse 1. Look what he says. brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might Be saved. Whereas Isaiah magnifies a call from heaven for missions. Luke magnifies a call from hell for missions. Acts magnifies a call from the heathen for missions. Here in the book of Romans, Paul magnifies a call from the heart for missions. He said, My heart's desire. And so for a few moments tonight, I want to appeal to your heart. I want to appeal to your burden. I want to ask you tonight, do you really have a burden for the lost? Do you really care about where people are going to go when they die? Is it just mere words tonight, dearly beloved, or is it the passion of your soul? Let me ask you tonight, dearly beloved. Are you driven from deep down inside to tell people about Jesus Christ? In Acts chapter 4. When they beat Simon Peter and the disciples and commanded them to speak no more in his name, Simon Peter said, "This you judge what's right in your own eyes, but as for us, we cannot help but speak the things which we've seen and heard." Jeremiah said it like this: He decided to quit and keep it quiet, but he said, "Your word was in my bones like a fire. What's happened to the fire? What's happened to the? Per- what's happened to the?" What has happened to a heart that is burdened for sinners? Let me just take these verses tonight. Just for a few moments, I want to magnify Paul's burden for the lost. But Tim, that's what our churches need more than anything tonight. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I think, dearly beloved, we've developed compound eyesight. We've got one eye on God and one eye on the world. It's diffusing the church of its burden, its passion, and its fire to see sinners saved. Let me point out, first of all, that Paul's burden was pure. It was a pure burden. You say, what do you mean, preacher? It wasn't put on. It wasn't an act. Paul wasn't doing what he was doing to impress anybody. Paul had a pure heart and a pure burden that longed for the salvation of his kinsmen according to the flesh. I've learned down through the years, if you're not careful, you can attach yourself to a good evangelistic church, and and you can find yourself going through the motions, and you can find yourself working up the mechanics, but it won't very last very long if it's not buried deep in the treasure of your soul. Look what he said here. This is so interesting. He said, I say the truth in Christ. And I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now you got to remember who wrote the book. Paul didn't write it. The Holy Spirit wrote it. God picked Paul up. That's what 1 Peter chapter 1 says. He carried him along and he breathed the word of God into him. These aren't the words of the apostle Paul. These are the words of the Holy Ghost. So much so, just in case you doubt it, he said, the Holy Ghost also bearing me witness. As though the Holy Spirit is saying tonight, he's telling you the truth He's right. He's not lying to you. He's not misleading you. He does care for his people. And the truth is, dearly beloved, you and I can talk about it. And we can even act like it. But the truth is, God in heaven knows tonight whether we really care for the souls of men. His burden was pure. Let me point out, secondly, his burden was personal. Look at this verse. Look how many times he uses the personal pronouns I and my. Verse one I say the truth. I lie not. My conscience, my conscience also bearing me witness that I have great heaviness, continual sorrow in my heart. I could wish. That myself were a curse from Christ. My brethren, my kinsmen. He says in verse number 1 of chapter 10, My heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. What the Lord is magnifying to us tonight is Paul's burden was not just pure. A burden that was real. It wasn't put on it. It wasn't fake, but Paul's burden was personal. It wasn't just his pastor's burden. It wasn't just his parents' burden. It wasn't just his church's burden. It was his burden. When I went to Howells Anderson College, we had a roommate named Travis Smith. Travis wasn't even called to preach. But I'm here to tell you, friend, every time somebody stopped long enough, old Travis was telling them about Jesus. I mean, sometimes even to the point of aggravating us when we needed to go, we needed to get to class, we needed to get back to Hammond, we needed to leave Chicago. Oh, Travis to be over there with an open Bible telling somebody about Jesus. I remember times in his bedroom when I could hear him from my bedroom in the dormitory, old dormitory C at Baptist City and I'd hear Travis in there on his knees crying out to God Lord save that child on the bus route God save that mama and daddy God save that person that lives over here on this street God save that person that I work with at United Parcel Service I'm going to tell you something a burden won't be effectual And a burden won't impact people if people don't believe you're real. If they believe all you are is just words to promote yourself, it'll have little impact. And not only that, if they don't believe it's real in you, that that you really care about them, it'll have very little impact. I used to tell the young preachers that we had come in the church, and I worked with them a lot. I'd Work with them on expositional preaching. I'd work with them on pastoral responsibilities. And I used to tell them all the time, Brother Tim, nobody cares what you know if they don't know that you care. The greatest thing you'll ever do for your people is not to be a great orator or a great expositionalist. The greatest thing you'll ever do for your people is to love them and care about them. To pray for them. To be there when they go in the hospital. To be there when they have a baby come into this world. To be there when they lose a loved one. Because you just simply care about them. I heard the greatest compliment about your pastor this week. I was talking to somebody in the church. I can't even remember who it was. And I said, boy... God has really blessed y'all here with a wonderful facility. and God's given you a wonderful pastor. And that gentleman said this. He said, yes, sir. And we know he loves us. And I'm here to tell you, friend, when a pastor can translate that to his people, it goes a long way. We know he loves us. That doesn't mean he never gets... Twisted on the inside. That doesn't mean he never has frustrations. He's a human being. But at the end of the day, he's on his knees for you. He's praying for you. He's studying for you. He's preaching to you. Because he loves you. His burden, the burden of the apostle Paul was pure the burden of the Apostle Paul was personal. Let me say thirdly, the burden of the Apostle Paul was painful. Look at this. Verse 2, chapter 9. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. The word here in the Greek language is loopy. And here's what it means. It means sorrow. It means pain. It means grief. It means affliction as of a people who mourn. It reminds us of the death of Absalom. When David found out the Bible said he wept and mourned, he rent his clothes, and he said, oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom. Reminds us of Jesus standing on the southern steps of the temple where I stood earlier this year in 220. Looking over the city of Jerusalem and you remember what Jesus said. Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thee as a hen doth gather her chicks. But you would not come. Weeping. Mourning. Crying. And I say tonight, dearly beloved, I believe by and large one of the curses of the Baptist church is we have the dry-eyed syndrome. How long has it been since you wept over a sinner? I got to tell you the story of my brother. My father and my mother had four children. My oldest brother who pastors in Indiana to this day, he's 75 years old and he's still preaching the gospel. My sister wannabe preacher who preaches to me every chance she gets. I'll tell you, you do know what the scripture says, Joanne, that you're to keep silence and to learn at home from your husband, but she preaches away. My third brother, the number three child, and you study psychology and rearing children, there's something about that middle child. Sometimes they just kind of crawl into a shell. They feel a little bit inferior Sometimes, And my mother and daddy's third child, my next oldest brother, Jack, when he turned 18, he rebelled. He decided he was going to grow his hair long, and daddy wouldn't let him do that, so he left home. He began to take LSD, he started listening to rock music, he then went from that to marijuana and then he went from that to speed and then on to LSD and next thing you know my brother is out and about in this world lost without God and I'll never forget Tim that Christmas how my daddy sat there that Christmas and Christmas was always a joyful time around our. And I'll never forget the stoic blank look on Daddy's face as his heart was saddened and burdened for an errant child. As a 14 year old boy, I watched this. Matter of fact, it made such an impression on me that it's one of the things that ultimately led me to Jesus Christ. In the middle of the night, I would hear my mother and my father. Weeping and crying and praying. Oh God, we don't even know where our son is tonight. God save our son. God bring him back. Lord bring him back home. And more than anything, bring him to the cross. My daddy would pray and then my mama would pray. They would stop for a while and repeat the process again and again. As a 14-year-old boy, it scared me. Half to death. But i tell you what else it did for me too, Tim. It showed me how real God was. Because at the end of that year, my brother had gone to Fort Worth to stay with my other brother. The police were after him in Houston. He went there to get away. And while he was there, he borrowed my brother's car. He went out and birds of a feather flocked together. He found somebody else that knew where some LSD was. They went out and hit on the LSD. And the next thing you know, he almost wrecked my brother's car. And he came in at 1 o'clock in the morning, inexplicably. He knocked on my brother's door. Robert came to the bedroom door and said, Yeah, Jack, what are you getting home so late for? Tears were streaming down his face. And he said, Robert, he said, you think God would save someone like me? (laughs) My brother gave his heart to Jesus Christ that night. The Lord called him to preach, and he pastored a church for 24 years till he was cutting a tree down for his son-in-law. And the tree fell on him, and the Lord took him home in 2011. but I know somewhere on the streets of glory there's a a man walking around that's grateful for a mama and daddy who because of a painful heart and a lonely heart wept and cried out to God they mourn. that's where Paul is Paul's not just talking about it and teaching lessons about it Paul's not just going through the motions Paul is on his face weeping and crying out to God begging God to save the nation of Israel that's where we need to be tonight You got lost children, hit this altar tonight and pray for them. You got lost parents, hit the altar in your home and pray for them. Weep and cry. And if you don't have a burden, come here tonight and ask God to give you one. Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, to guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it proceed the issues of life. In other words, the way we live our lives and approach our lives will be dependent upon the condition of your heart. There's a lot of distractions out there right now, folks. There's materialistic distractions. There's worldly and carnal distractions. There's social distractions, political distractions. One thing the devil is trying to do with all of this is to diffuse us of our power and our intimacy with Jesus Christ to get us strung out on temporal issues while people are facing eternity tonight. His burden was pure. Pure personal and it was painful his burden was propitiational So what do you mean by that preacher that word is used as a legal term it's used of our paracletos the Lord Jesus Christ one called alongside See, that's what happened when you got saved you were spiritually broken, and condemned. You were guilty. But God sent a lawyer who's never lost a case. One called alongside. And he pleads your case. He raises those nail scarred hands to remind the judge of all the universe that it's already been paid for. And here's what John said in chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, Paracletos. I cannot help but think of the Miranda rights when I think of this. Now, I wouldn't know what they are because I've never been arrested. But I hear they say this to you. If you can't afford a lawyer... One will be appointed for you. And I'm here to tell you, spiritually speaking, none of us could afford your lawyer. But Jesus paid it all. And the high court of heaven appointed him, chose him to be the propitiation for our sin. In other words, the wrath of God had to be satisfied, and it was Christ's death and burial and resurrection that satisfied, satiated the wrath of a holy God. That's what Paul's saying here. If me going to hell would save my brethren and kinsmen Israel, I would do that. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Brother Tim. I'd almost go, now you sure about that, Paul? But you remember in verse 1, the Holy Ghost said amen to it. He's right. That is an overwhelming and astounding statement. Well, you say, preacher, Paul was Paul and he was a Bible character. Hey, he was the same sinner you and I are. He had the same Lord that you and I have. It's not what age you live in or what accolades you can hang by your name. It's how hungry and thirsty you are for him. But then I close with this thought. His burden was prayerful. Chapter 10 and verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. Christians, with what's going on in our country right now, I live as an angry man. I think you know what I'm talking about. But the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Here's the one weapon that we have that is more powerful than any other weapon. And it's not so much because of all the political and social dissension that's going on, but it's because of the degree to which mankind is lost. You see, what we really need to be concerned about is not who's in the White House. What we really need to be concerned about is not the Constitution and the amendments. What we need to be concerned about is the lost souls of people. So much so that it behooves us. It moves us to fall on our face before a holy God and to slip into the throne room of grace and beseech God in behalf of our loved ones. Do you have anybody in your family tonight that needs to be saved? I'm not telling you that praying for them is going to save them, but I'm here to tell you if they do get saved, prayer is going to be perfunctionary in that process. I wonder tonight, this is a good church, I love your building, I wish I could take it with me to Texas, but I can't get it on the plane, I don't have a truck big enough to haul it, I love your cafe out there, especially the hot chocolate, I love you people, you're precious the truth is tonight that's not the main reason the Lord left us here it's not for the people in here it's for the people out there I believe and I really believe this that the home church is yet to see its best days I believe that I believe you're going to experience some unprecedented blessings and I'm not trying to be a prophet this year I believe you're going to see growth this year. You're going to need this auditorium. Because there's people out there today that are looking at the government and they know they have no hope and they're looking for some place where they can come in and somebody will love them and somebody will put their arm around them and tell them where the hope is found. In Christ alone. Would you be that person? I told you, his first words were, I must do my father's business. His last words tell us what his father's business is. Go and preach. But I'm going to tell you something tonight, folk. That's not going to happen without a burden. And that's not going to be effectual without a burden. With our heads bowed and eyes closed.